Welcome to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. Your host has lived an off-grid, sustainable lifestyle for over 20 years. His homestead is run on solar energy. He has an earth shelter greenhouse and produces much of his own food. And all of this takes place in the middle of the forest in Colorado. Now, let's join Patrick, the man that not only teaches the skills of sustainable living, but lives that life every day. Welcome back, everyone, to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast. This is your host, Patrick, and this is episode number 15, titled Back from the Land. I guess a more appropriate title for this episode would be Back from the Land, Why the Back to the Land movement failed, and what are the important lessons learned. I want to start this episode by sharing with you a story about a 12-year-old boy named Sam who grew tired of living in a small apartment with his family and was also tired of the hustle and bustle of New York City. So what Sam did is he ran away from home and he went to live on his great-grandfather's property in the Catskill Mountains. He was simply seeking some independence And he had to, of course, learn how to live off the land, and he had to learn how to survive. But Sam's adventures are really just a dramatic representation of man versus nature. Now, this story is centered in the 1950s, and by the way, this is not a true story. This story comes from a fiction book that's called My Side of the Mountain, and it was written by Gene George in 1959. Now, truly, this book was one of my childhood favorites. Now, I want to share with you another story, and this one is actually true. The well-known story of a guy named Chris McCandless And this young man actually hiked into the Alaskan wilderness in 1992 and attempted to live off the land. Unfortunately, Chris only lasted about 16 weeks, but this very real story is a dramatic representation of the desire to get away from civilization and live on your own. And although this story has a rather tragic end, it also represents a part of us that simply will not be put to rest. But let's examine another very real situation. The so-called back to the land movement, which was in the 1960s and and 1970s. But okay, I just said back to the land But the title of this episode is Back From the Land. And yes, that's a little contradiction there, but bear with me for just a moment and you'll understand why this episode is titled Back From the Land. Now, the so-called Back to the Land movement, it was an enormous social movement in the 1960s and 70s, and it was truly based on 
the ideal of self-sufficiency and a life that was close to nature. Now, there were many reasons why people chose to do this. Many of the people in that era found the American value system actually to be repulsive, and many of those people were disgusted and loathed by the rat race, the crowds, the consumerism, and all the advertising that was bent on getting people to buy things that they didn't really need. They were also repulsed by the destruction of the land and the environment and living under what they considered to be a corrupt establishment. And furthermore, these ideals of the people at this time were reinforced by a rather long-standing American tradition that associates virtue with moderation, self-denial, hard work, and simple living. And consequently, a lot of the people that participated in this Back to the Land movement, I think, had a romantic notion of self-sufficient living that was at least somewhat associated with the pioneer era. And you know, I find it rather interesting that while this social movement was going on, I was actually very young at the time, and while this movement was going on and in full swing, I was spending a lot of time on the family farm, and in so many ways, while there was this great movement to go back to the land, I always felt as if I never actually left the land. But anyway, more on that later. You know, I think as a culture, and and what I have observed is that in many ways we seem to go in circles. Um, I guess similar to circling the airport is the one thing that I think of. Because this idea of getting back to the basics is really, truly nothing new. And the people that embraced this huge back to the land movement in the 60s and 70s certainly did not invent that idea. But, however, you have to consider what was going on during that period of time in American history. It was the Vietnam era. <clears throat> It was a time of tremendous political tension, and there was widespread social upheaval and numerous protest and even anti-government demonstrations. But it was also a time of rampant consumerism, and for many, the idea of homesteading was really truly a spiritual ideal. And furthermore, a lot of people during that era were really propped up by some easily available resources such as Mother Earth News and the Whole Earth Catalog. And I also think that a lot of people were inspired by Scott and Helen Nearing's book that was titled Living the Good Life. And by the way, I have read that book and it actually is pretty good. And it was also a time when the the back-to-the-landers voluntarily limited themselves while American culture, as a rule, placed no limits on consumerism. 
And while many of these people chose to be at the mercy of nature, as well as use environmentally friendly forms of energy in many ways, they were trading an easy, convenient lifestyle for simplicity simply because it fit with their moral values. And in the end, they did achieve some level of self-sufficiency and more personal freedom. And additionally, they satisfied that urge to run off and reinvent themselves in the American wilderness. But in order to do this, they had to make some important choices, and they also had to learn some new skills. For example, how to build a home, and how to power that home, how to grow their own food. And of course, let's not forget the financial factor of how to make a living while abandoning that ideal of consumerism. Although such thoughts of getting back to the basics is certainly nothing new, there is no doubt that during that period of time, when as many as one million Americans abandoned their lives for something more simple, that period of time was truly one of the greatest social movements in American history. But in the end, why did so many of these people fail? In the end, there was an enormous and, of course, much less popularized back from the land movement. And many of these people simply ended up back in society, back at their formal jobs or something similar, and even back to the university education that many of them abandoned. But what happened? What happened with these people? Well, of course, I'm going to give you my opinion on that. First of all, many of them, for many of them, the realities of homesteading, I think, eventually crumbled their idealism. Many of them began to realize that not everything could actually be created on the homestead. And at least to some degree, they had to rely on the outside world. And those that were good at creating things on the homestead, I think they realized that they couldn't possibly create everything or not enough products and services to actually to make themselves financially sustainable. But people also realized that in a rural environment, in order to make themselves um, financially, make things financially affordable, they often had to take low-paying jobs that were perhaps physically demanding and also by working outside the homestead they lost the time and the energy that was needed to to make much needed improvements to to plant a garden and engage in other activities that were required to make themselves self-sufficient and overall it truly became a struggle between time and money and consequently, many of these 
idealistic back-to-the-landers return to their former jobs and careers after realizing the consequences of making such a move with little or no planning and even fewer skills. Now, all of that being said, here we are many years later, in my opinion, in our culture, circling the airport again. And this pendulum of popular culture swings back and forth, and this is why I do not place a lot of value in public opinion. But just give me a moment to explain. Because after the the back-to-the-land movement, there, of course, was a back-from-the-land movement. And following that, there, at least in the United States, there was a period of fairly rapid economic growth. There was, of course, continued growth of consumerism. And a lot of that was actually technologically oriented. And at this point, this so-called back-to-the-land movement really just seemed like some sort of laughable relic from an era of foolish, naive, mostly white middle-class, well-educated young people. Then, of course, you know, in the early 2000s, I think it was, people really started to, to experience some fears about climate change and some fears about food safety. Then, 2007, 2008 or so, there was the economic recession where millions of people lost their investments, they lost their life savings, and their retirement funds even. And I think this was a period of time where there was a huge re-evaluation of the so-called American dream. And people were, were dissatisfied again with what was, was going on with our establishment and our culture, so to speak. So now here we are circling the airport again, And we are back to an increased interest in sustainability, renewable energy, buying local, etc. And now perhaps because of what's going on globally, now we may see something much larger finally take hold. You know, I think I can empathize a lot with the folks that were caught up in this back to the land movement because... When I first moved on my property, my homestead property in 1996, I actually did that without a whole lot of forethought and planning. But at least I had spent most of my life being active in the outdoors. I even had some survival training, some construction experience. I knew all about gardening. And I was even somewhat of an accomplished hunter, even though You know, I can't say that I could actually brag about my fishing skills. But even though I felt as if I knew what I was doing, I can tell you I was not the least bit prepared to live completely off the grid. I very quickly became familiar with that time versus money dilemma. I was constantly commuting, I was away from home for several days at a time. I even amazingly lived completely without electricity for almost 10 years. But I also was completely committed to my goal 
to establish an off-grid and sustainable lifestyle, but I also had to be a part of the system, so to speak. I had to work and make money and spend time off of the homestead. However, here I am 24 years later, and I am still at it. Now, if you listen to my podcast episode that was titled Self-Sufficiency is Impossible Yet Essential, then you now realize that self-sufficiency in the past was really a matter of providing a lot of your own basic needs, but a lot of those things you could actually manufacture or uh, grow um, on your homestead. However, and now we live in a much different world when much of what we need to survive, such as automobiles, gasoline, light bulbs, computers, are things that we cannot produce for ourselves. And consequently, we face much different challenges. So looking at the back to the land movement, followed by the back from the land movement, and the fact that for one reason or another in our culture, we seem to circle the airport and always come back, you know, in a manner of time to this idea of sustainability. But what are the lessons that we can really learn from this? Well, I think the first lesson is simply one of self-reliance. People in the Back to the Land movement were somewhat disgusted with the system, so they decided to test the boundaries a little bit and try and operate outside that system by building their own homes, gardening, raising their own animals for food, homeschooling their children, and even experimenting with um, home-based medicine. Secondly, the lesson to be learned is the realization that True self-sufficiency is difficult, if not entirely possible. And, of course, that was the episode of a previous um, podcast episode. So, even with such strong and ardent idealism, it is truly difficult to completely live off the grid and outside the capitalistic system, so to speak. So... Just as the people that participated in the Back to the Land movement, and just as what I have done for many years, I have certainly learned that, like it or not, you have to depend on society in order to acquire some of the basic tools, equipment, and the services that are needed to be a homesteader. Thirdly, I think perhaps the people... um, in the Back to the Land movement also realized that if Back to the Land was going to be the new American future, with, of course, the resulting abandonment of capitalism, then what would be the result of that? What would be the result of the complete collapse of the system? And if that happened, what would actually replace that system? This is something that I've often thought about because I'm so um, adamant about living off the grid and being as self-sufficient as possible. So I think this is really a, a fantastic question. So we must consider 
in many ways what Mahatma Gandhi warned us about. And his warning is that we must be careful not to replace one tyrant with another. Another important lesson learned, I think, is that of imbalance. I would contend that the life of the pioneers was just as imbalanced as our present complete dependence on a complicated infrastructure that we can't understand and we can't control. Um, Another lesson is perhaps that we must take baby steps in order to build a peaceful and sustainable future. Now, I would never really expect anyone to jump into an off-grid lifestyle as I did. In fact, I wouldn't recommend it because I lived quite a hard and difficult life for some time. I never regret it, but I just wouldn't recommend anyone do what I did. And I'll be the first to admit there was some significant hardship involved there. And at times, I would even leave my property for months in order to make as much money as possible and then return to the homestead to make as many improvements as possible. Yet, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, there's another important takeaway from this Back to the Land movement. And it is simply that I think many people in that era were acting on a very characteristic American assumption. Our culture has historically assumed that if things get too bad, then all we really have to do is to design a new adventure, maybe even create a new community, and perhaps move on to a new piece of land and start all over. But the only problem is that now there are no more new frontiers. We no longer have another place to go to. We can no longer act on the assumption that we are entitled to have the world just as we want it. And additionally, I think in so many ways we have to stop treating the earth as if the earth is a mother. And what this means is that mothers give us all that they have. They, they freely give us all of their resources and they are, of course, often taken for granted. When what we need to do is treat the earth as a child, something that should be nurtured, protected, and cared for. You know, the old saying that it takes a village to raise a child, so too it will take all of us to protect our home and see it thrive and grow once again. If we could all just only focus and learn the skills to develop a sustainable future, then we also would learn the needed skills and instill the attitude necessary to cope with our ever-changing world. In so many ways, if we wait for the government nothing will ever happen. If we only act as individuals, it may be too little too late. But if we act as a community, 
we stand a chance of making substantial and sustainable changes. Then and only then are we a shining example in the community of nations that we all need to work together in order to build a better future. So in summary, folks, the lessons learned here in this Back From the Land movement is the first lesson, of course, is self-reliance. And the fact that it is possible to work outside the system and provide a lot of your, your own basic needs. The second lesson is, of course, the realization that true self-sufficiency is difficult, if not impossible. Thirdly, while we may seek more personal freedom and independence from that system that we may not agree with, we have to be careful not to replace one tyrant with another. Our fourth lesson, we always need, of course, to keep things in balance. The fifth lesson, we need to take baby steps in order to build a peaceful, sustainable future. And the last lesson is that we have to take care of what we have here and now. We can no longer move on to something else because there are no new frontiers. There is simply no new place to go any longer. And remember, folks, that if we just act on these principles and we act as a community, then we stand a much better chance of making lasting, sustainable, and substantial changes to our culture and to our future. Okay, folks, that is it for this week. I really, truly hope that you have enjoyed this episode. And if so, please subscribe to the Adventures in Sustainable Living podcast, as well as Off-Grid Living News. Have a fantastic week. And please remember, always live sustainably because this is how we build a better future.